Did you know that surfing was invented in Hawaii? And did you know that Hawaii is the only U.S. state with two official languages? This episode of TripCast 360 is sponsored by David's Cruise Vacation, a travel agency that specializes in both land and sea adventures for the intrepid traveler. Book now at davidscruisevacations.com and experience that hands-on personal service. Hello and welcome to TripCast 360, the podcast that's all about travel, tourism, and entertainment. We focus on the traveler experiences with our global audience. We interview travel writers, actors, comedians, musicians, athletes, entertainers, fashionistas, foodies, event organizers, and industry insiders to provide that total travel experience. I'm your host, David Cumberbatch, coming to you from the Big Apple in New York City. This episode is somewhat different, though. On this episode, we have a treat for you with our special guests. We're going to take a journey to Hawaii. But before we do that, let's take care of some housekeeping business. Permit me to share where you can find us on that big universe called the Internet. We are on just about every podcast directory platform, including Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Apple iTunes, Spotify, and iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcasts. But the best place to catch us is on our website, TripCast360. We are also on social media on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. While you're there, follow us, like us, message us, and tag us. And to begin receiving our newsletter, go to our website, TripCast360.com, and sign up. Now, for that treat that I mentioned earlier, our guest today is my co-host, Michael Gordon-Bennett. He recently took a trip to Hawaii, and we thought we would change our format a bit to have Michael share his experience there. Michael, it seems odd that you are making a guest appearance on our podcast, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I guest appearance on my own show. I kind of like this. <laughs> I, it's, it's actually enjoyable being the subject for a change. <laughs> well, you just came back from uh, Hawaii. Actually, you came back in January of this year from Hawaii. Right. And um, I thought about it. You have we, We've had several discussions. You have traveled to just about every state within the United States. And I believe you told me that you'd never traveled to Hawaii. What prompted you to go to Hawaii? And you know what? Before we get deep into that, Let's start because th this is your first trip traveling since COVID outside the United States, I believe. That's true. Right. So you took a plane, you flew there. Uh, tell us how you got there. And uh, then we talk about what prompted you to go to Hawaii out of all the states you've traveled to. Well, uh, you, you know, I have been living on the West Coast. For anybody who listens to this podcast, you know I spend most of my time in Los Angeles. I've been living on the West Coast for 35 years. And I never set foot in Hawaii, which for a West Coaster seems to be, uh, you know, blasphemy. Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, you think about it for a minute. And I, now keep in mind, I've been to Cabo San Lucas twice. I've been to Puerto Vallarta twice. And just to put that in perspective, from Los Angeles and or Las Vegas, it's about a two to two and a half hour flight to get to Cabo San Lucas. And to get to Puerto Vallarta is about a three hour flight from either city. To get to Hawaii is six hours. And I, for the life of me, do not understand how I never made it to Hawaii. As much as I like to travel, I mean, I've been to Fiji, I've been to Korea. You know, if you consider going across the Pacific, never the Pacific, set foot, right. never set foot in Hawaii um, in, until uh, the Christmas, New Year's holiday. And um, I know we're going to get into this, but I got to tell you, it was one of the most picturesque places I have ever been in my life. It was uh, well, I'll let you ask me the questions, but it was just it was just a wonderful experience. I wish I could have stayed longer than a week because it was more for me to explore. Um, you know, keep in mind, Las Vegas is known as the ninth island. For those of you who don't know, Hawaii has eight islands, but there's a humongous Hawaiian population here in Las Vegas. And so they refer to it as the ninth island here. And all of my Hawaiian friends said, when are you coming or when are you going? Well, I finally got off my you know what and went. <laughs> Which island did you travel to first from Las Vegas where you are right now? And 
And how was your trip there at this stage where COVID, where COVID is? You know, it's no longer the Delta virus. It's the uh, Omicron virus. Were you, were you feeling a bit comfortable going through the airport? I, I didn't have a problem at the airport. You know, as you alluded to during your intro, I have traveled within the lower 48, um, you know, since COVID. But, uh, you know, most of my flights have been to visit my son and his family in California. Uh, I went to San Francisco and other he's in L.A. And, and then we went to San Francisco as well. So I kind of stayed in the lower 48 and, you know, wearing a mask at the airport doesn't phase me because I expect it. You know, wearing a mask on the plane, I expect it. You know, none of that bothered me. Um, and I wasn't apprehensive at all uh, about it. Now, Omicron was just kind of rearing its ugly head when uh, I left. And I didn't realize until I got back how you know much it swept the country, especially um, you know once you get about two weeks after infection is when it really hits in after a holiday period. So about mid January is when I realized that Omicron was no joke. Fortunately, I had been you know triple vaxxed, so you know my and yes, I did get COVID, but I don't think it was from Hawaii. But my symptoms were extremely mild. All I had was a sore throat. Um, no lung issues, no fevers, no headaches, no nothing. So um, that was fine. But to go back to your point, and I'm going to digress for a minute because we took Hawaiian Airlines. Right. I absolutely love Hawaiian Airlines. They were fantastic in terms of their, their service, the friendliness, uh, the warmth of the people. Um, you know, the comfort on the plane. Now, uh, you know, and of course, those rum punches at the end of the flight didn't hurt either. But, um, <laughs> but I mean, it, it was wonderful coming and going. But to answer more directly your question, we booked our trip to Hawaii a little bit late. Um, and the reason we went to Hawaii is my girlfriend's son is in the Navy and he's stationed in Hawaii. Uh, so that's why we went. But we booked our flight like in early November for a late December departure. So that caused me one major problem is I couldn't fly directly to Honolulu. So we flew into Maui first and then had a two-hour layover. Maui might be the most beautiful landing strip I have ever seen because it's, wow. in, a, it's in a humongous valley. It's on one side, I think it's a 12 or 13,000 foot volcano. On the other side, it's like a six or 7,000 foot volcano. And everything in the middle of that valley is just super lush green. I literally could not take my eyes off of the terrain outdoors. It was that beautiful. And for people who don't know a lot about volcanoes, I'm used to the volcanoes that had that like sharp dome at the top with that yeah. little round circular thing. In Hawaii, they're a little bit different because it's a gradual thing. You don't realize that you're sitting at six, seven, eight thousand feet up because there's no cliffs, no jagged edges. It's just a gradual rise. And the dome part of, of the big uh, volcano there was actually covered with clouds. I didn't get to see it, but you don't, it, it's like you don't have this visceral fear of, oh man, I'm 5,000 feet in the air, 8,000 feet in the air. You just don't recognize it. But man, I got to tell you, Maui was gorgeous, man. It was absolutely beautiful. I can understand why people go there for a vacation. <laughs> was it uh, was it really lush from your description? It seems to be lush, right? Yeah, I don't know how much rain Maui gets on an annual basis. I my gut's telling me it probably gets a significant amount. A significant amount. Now, keep in mind, I live in Las Vegas. We only get three inches of rain a year here. Um, and in LA, you're in the I, middle of a. Yeah, we're in the middle of the desert, desert right? Yeah, and when I, you know, and when I get back to LA, uh, hopefully this year, you know, we only get about an average of eleven inches of rain a year. Mm -hmm. So when I say something is lush and green, this is no joke. Mm -hmm. This is absolutely beautiful, lush green. Like I said, landing in Maui was like, it, it was like going to heaven almost. I mean, you just you don't really appreciate it until you actually see it with your own two eyes. I wasn't expecting that. And, you know, especially because our, what our plane did was as we were coming in from the um, east, the plane had to go past the island a little bit and turn around and come back because of the way the runway sits. So mm -hmm. we got the whole 360 panoramic view of Maui from the air. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and it, like I said, it was, it was gorgeous. I, I, I can't say enough. I wish I had actually my next trip to Hawaii will be to stay in Maui. 
you know, for yeah. those people who um, listen to our podcast frequently, uh, Catherine Parker Magyar goes to Hawaii uh, several times. And she, I think she made the analogy that Hawaii is the Beverly Hills of the Hawaiian islands because of its yeah. upscale and its luxury. Well, from what I saw, she's accurate. That is very, very uh-huh. true. Well, they say it's the, it's the Beverly Hills Rodeo Drive. And I guess that's because of all the uh, shopping and, and not just shopping, but upscale shopping there, right? Yeah, there's a boatload of celebrities who have properties on Maui. I know Oprah has property there. Uh, I know Magic Johnson used to have property there. I don't know if he still does or not, but there's a lot of uh, celebrities that uh, have properties on Maui. And it's a lot of high-end resorts. Uh, humongous high-end resorts, you know, the kind that you're going to shell up a pretty penny for just to uh, be there. But man, I got to tell you, I wish I, uh, if Maui is the first impression of Hawaii, you'll never leave. <laughs> now you've been to two of the islands. You've been to Oahu. You've also been to Hawaii, which is the big island. So let's, let's talk about what you did while you were on the first island you went to, which is Oahu. What'd you do? What is it like? Where did you visit? What did you eat? <laughs> Everything and anything. <laughs> what did you drink in terms? What did you drink in terms of adult beverages? No, tell uh, me. A lot, a lot of rum and a lot of my ties. Hawaii actually has their own brand of rum, and I think it's Koala K O A L A. I think is what it is. But uh, you know, the when we left Maui on, uh, it was basically I think about a thirty-five minute flight to get to Oahu. And you land at Daniel Inouye National Airport, which is Honolulu. Um, it's by far, Honolulu is by far the biggest city in Hawaii with like three or 400,000 people. And in Oahu itself, the island on which Honolulu sits is by far the most populous. It's where you'll find all the things that you see in the brochure, Waikiki Beach and Diamond Head and stuff like that. And of course, it's home to Pearl Harbor. So we land at the airport in um, Hawaii, in um, Honolulu. On Oahu. Yeah. And uh, it's just before nightfall. And so I uh, my girlfriend's son picked us up and instead of getting on the freeway, which they which are labeled H1, H2 and H3 in Hawaii, by the way, they're not called Interstate 95 or nothing like that. I said, take surface streets to our hotel room in Waikiki. So he did. So I'm driving through Waikiki and I'm just, you know, amazed at all the people. The people are friendly, by the way. I mean, I can't tell you how many times, like, you know, you get in a traffic jam. If, if you get in a traffic jam in L.A. Or, or Vegas, they just let you sit in the jam. They don't care. These people are like, oh, come on in. You could get in here. Hey, cut in line. They, that was cool to me. And it happened for the entire week we were there. Every place we drove, that happened. People were wow. letting us in. And um, so, yeah, our hotel was out in uh, Waikiki. And um, we were within walking distance of a lot of nightclubs uh, of which we partook the first night, um, <laughs> a lot of um, shopping. There's an area in Waikiki, and I think it's on, I, wanna, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, but I want to call it Kalakaua Avenue. It's like Rodeo Drive, yeah. except it's maybe twice as long and twice as wide in terms of all the shops and stuff like that and all the high-end restaurants and stuff around there. Man, we walked around that area for two days straight. Just, you know, from from Tiffany's to Gucci's to, you know, you name it, all the high end stuff was there Uh, loaded with tourists. Keep in mind, this is between the Christmas and New Year's holidays, which is the busiest time of year in Hawaii. You know, most people think of going to Hawaii over the summertime, but Christmas, the Christmas, New Year's holidays is actually very, very busy. So, you know, lots of food, lots of seafood, fresh fish. We had pokey. We had sushi. Um. You, you know, uh, I, there, there was any anything that you think of that you could have gotten in the States, you could have gotten there. And the fish was even fresher. I mean, they're literally going out, catching it and putting it on your plate. So it, it was like it, it was really, really an awesome part of the uh, journey. Um, you know, just seeing the culture and stuff like that. Hawaii has a different culture. They they have their own language within the language, if you will. You know, if you yeah. watch like Hawaii Five-O, you hear phrases like Ohana, Mahalo, and things like that. But there's a, um, the Polynesian population that populates Hawaii also has a second indigenous language that, you know, most locals can go back and forth, um, you know, speaking and stuff like that. But the coolest thing, you ever seen the hang mm. 10 sign they make like this? Yeah, yeah. 
the first thing that happened when I was outside waiting for the cabinet for my uh, son-in-law to pick us up was somebody walked up and gave me the hang tip. <laughs> he said, welcome, brother. And he kept right on walking. <laughs> so that was cool. And, and the temperature was great. It was about 80 when we landed. It never got higher than 80 the entire time we were there. Right, Hawaii is, only, is the only state that's in the tropics. The only state of the United States is in the tropics. Yeah, that in South Florida. Yeah, South, the part of South Florida is also in the tropics. Yeah. When you get to Hawaii, keep in mind that those 12 and 13,000 foot volcanoes have snow on them. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? Eh? Just because you are in the tropics doesn't mean at higher elevations it does not snow. When we, cro- yeah. when we took the uh, trip to the Big Island, we passed over several mountain peaks on some of the other islands that had snow on them. They were snow-capped. Mm-hmm. So don't think just because you're in a warm-weather destination, it does not have snow on them. They do. Um, well, you know, we don't live at that elevation, so let's talk about... <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, we, don't, we don't live in Peru or Nepal or Chile and Nepal. <laughs> but... <laughs> I also read that that avenue is the tale of two sections of Waikiki. They said on one side of it are beautiful beaches and artistic statues and so on. What's on the other side? Did you get a chance to go on the other side? That's a good, that's a good question, only because I don't know where, that, where they say the tale of two cities, if you will, ends and the other side begins. Um, I have to say this in all honesty. Honolulu is densely populated. And there's a reason for that, and it has to do with the terrain. Keep in mind that you've got about three or 400,000 people, give or take, uh, crammed into an area about the size of maybe Atlanta, maybe Manhattan. It's not even that big. I would say maybe Manhattan or Brooklyn or something like that. It's not a lot of geographic space to build in because the mountains are sitting there in your way. Um, And, of course, you've got a humongous Navy base sitting right there as well and an Air Force base. But so... It's densely populated. Mm-hmm. You see a lot of people in Hawaii on scooters. Mm-hmm. Uh, my son, uh, my, uh, my son-in-law, repre- or, uh, rent, not my son-in-law, but uh, my girlfriend's son, he rented a little scooter, a uh, little moped thing and stuff like that and riding around on some of the streets. And the traffic is so busy. You're like, why would you risk your life doing that? But the people in Hawaii are so friendly. It's almost like it's not a risk because they will wait for you. They will stop. They understand that's how you get around in Hawaii, you know. And uh, so nobody batted an eyelash at it. Um, But to answer your point, I don't know exactly where that dividing line is. But the reason I brought up the densely populated area is because that dividing line could be so subtle that you don't know it until, you know, unless you're a local, you live there and you actually see it with your own two eyes. Um, But yeah, and I did not notice. I mean, there there was we we walked in and out of so many stores, Dave, and so many restaurants and places (laughs) like that. I never gave it a second thought. And I wish I could remember we went out to this outdoor restaurant. The very I mean, we were in we were in Honolulu five hours. And we sat there and drank Mai Tais until they closed the place down. <laughs> um, and it was outdoors. They were playing a lot of old 60s and 70s music, which, you know, is right up my alley. And so and the, the bartenders were fun. But here's the thing, going back to the question you asked about COVID. In Hawaii, you were not allowed into any restaurant at all without a vaccination card in your pocket. You had to show this to them. Strict protocols. Strict protocols. And if you did not have that vaccination card in your pocket, you were not getting in the front door. Mm -hmm. And to follow up even more, going back to what you said about the airport stuff, about a week before we left, I had to go online and fill out a health questionnaire uh, from the Hawaii Department of Health. Mm-hmm. And in that questionnaire, it was all things about your COVID vaccination, your health status, whether you've had COVID. We had to upload our vaccination cards to the site. Mm-hmm. And then when we get to the airport in Las Vegas, before you board the plane, they actually had you come up. They, what they do is 24 hours before you leave, they take all that information and give you a QR code on your phone, which you have to walk up and scan. Somebody actually uh, from Hawaiian Airlines looked at that code. If you've got all the prerequisite stuff done, they give you a wristband. And if it's if it's a green wristband, that means when you land in Hawaii, you do not have to stop and pass anything in Hawaii that has to do with COVID. You can just keep on going. If you have a yellow or a red, you're going to quarantine. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they already had all that worked out before we even got on the airplane. And I saw them stop a couple of passengers from Vegas to get of getting on the plane because they hadn't done the COVID protocols. So that they weren't messing around. And even on like on the highways, you know how you got those big signs on the highways that change stuff all the time. They even had Hawaii, 4,000 COVID cases today or whatever it was. I'm just tossing a number and I don't remember what it said, but they let you know every day how many COVID cases were active and the percentage of the population that had it. They actually did a really good job. But I think working to Hawaii's advantage also is the fact that they're an island nation or islands, plural nation. So they can actually control the influx they have much of people. More control. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, so yeah, Waikiki was great. It was fun to walk around and stuff like that. But you know me, I'm a history buff and I'm also a military vet. So, you know, where I had to go next. <laughs> That's right. That's right. You went to Pearl Harbor. Yep. How did you feel being, being there? Did you get emotional, even though times have changed? You know, Japan is now an ally of the United States and so on. Um, there was only one time that I got a little wispy. And it was when I went to the Pearl Harbor Memorial, which is just outside of the Naval Air Base. And the only reason I got wispy was because I was watching this outdoor video of the attack on Pearl Harbor. And I'm sitting next to probably a dozen Japanese people. And some of them, were Japanese Americans and they lived in the States. Others were visitors from Japan itself. And even all these years removed, the looks on their face told me all I needed to know about a certain level of shame that they felt about the attack on Pearl Harbor, even though they had nothing to do with it. And, you know, and then, you know, one of the things that I was actually glad to see was that a lot of tourists, American tourists, were actually embracing them and talking to them and, you know, and stuff like that. So that was the only time I really got wispy. I mean, actually, in a way, I felt bad for all of them. War is ugly. I mean, you and I are taping this, you know, with what's going on in Ukraine right now, which is a story for another day, but it's it's ugly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you keep in mind, I'm a vet. My dad went to Vietnam as well. Um, and, you know, I saw what war did to him. But that was the only time I got wispy. For me, the big takeaway was the history. I love history. Now, the USS Arizona Memorial was actually closed when we were there. For those of you who don't know, uh, the USS Arizona is still sunken in the waters where uh, it went down. And then the, the memorial is placed over top of it. And you have to get on a, a, a guided tour. You can't go by yourself. And you have to have, a, a, and it's a boat. You have to go out on either on a boat or with a tour company that takes you out on the boat. And you can see it. Well, the weather um, and the seas were a little choppy for us that day. So they didn't allow anybody to go on the USS Arizona the day that I went there. Um, but I got an opportunity because, like I said, my girlfriend's son is in the Navy to go on to Pearl Harbor itself, the Naval Air Base. And you know those things that you see in the movies about the buildings and the trees and the vegetation honestly it looks just like that there there are there are some buildings that are on uh pearl harbor naval air Air station that uh are are turned into into monuments there are others that are still standing from 1941 uh and it's just awesome you know being on a military base because i i miss my time being on a military base i really do between you know Mm -hmm. being a dependent and being a um a vet myself and stuff like that uh you know there's a certain piece that I get from being around military people because I, I know the type of people I'm dealing with when you're dealing with, with military folks and it's, it's comforting to me. But um, I, I think I mentioned this to you in a telephone conversation you and I had when I got back. I can see why Pearl Harbor was such a easy target, if you will. Target for the Japanese. For the Japanese. The entrance mm-hmm. into Pearl Harbor is not that wide. And it's mm-hmm. shallow. Uh, as a matter of fact, when you look at the, where the USS Arizona sits, they have some of the other ship moorings, uh, the, the stones where you moor the ship to uh, when you're docking. They actually had some of the other moorings around the Arizona that were all in port at the time that Pearl Harbor was attacked. 
I didn't know this until some guy told me, but they actually had to dredge the harbor to get some of those boats to be able to just sit there in the first damn place. The opening is not very wide. And so if you, I think the USS Nevada's captain knew he was, he was one of the ships that got underway during the Pearl Harbor attack. And he tried to get out of the harbor, but he took on uh, a, a missile or something, hit the boat. And so, but it didn't sink it right away, but he knew he couldn't make it through. So he did uh, the heroic thing and took it and grounded his own boat because if he had gotten that boat into that harbor, it would have blocked every other ship from ever getting out of there. So he, he did the heroic thing and, and grounded it off to the side so that that harbor channel would stay open. But, you know, you, you look at that history, Dave, and it's like, it's, there's a certain amount of awe that goes with it. There's a certain amount of, you realize how small you are as a human being when you see it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it, 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 I was speechless. There, there were moments where I just couldn't talk. And I know a lot about World War II history, and I just had to keep my mouth shut because I was just like so awe of it. And then there was another little island uh, that you have to cross a bridge to get to from Pearl Harbor and, and the Honolulu mainland. And that's where you get access to the USS Missouri. The USS Missouri is now a tourist trap. And I don't mean to trap in the negative sense. I mean, trap in the good sense. The USS Missouri is where General MacArthur took the, uh, where the Japanese came on board and signed the papers to end World War II. Yeah, surrendered, yes. So they've got this on one side of the ship. They've got this room set up just for that. And keep in mind, that surrender ceremony took less than 30 minutes. Mm. And the gentleman who gave me the guided tour was a Japanese-American. And just talk, I, I spent like 15 minutes just talking to him and we, we kind of pissed off all the other tourists because they wanted to talk to him and I wouldn't let, I wouldn't let him go. And I, he actually showed me around and pointed to the documents because they're in gla- encased in the glass. He showed me the documents. He showed me where MacArthur sat. He showed me where the people from Japan sat. Um, he kind of walked me through the whole thing. And so finally, some people started getting wise that he was giving me the history lesson. So they just listened. But, you know, and then we got a chance to tour the ship. It was a self-guided tour at that point. So you can kind of go up and down and stuff like that. So my girlfriend and her son went to the lower decks. I went to the upper decks. I wanted to see the bridge. I wanted to mm-hmm. see what these guys were really feeling like. And you don't get a, a, an idea of how awesomely large these ships are until you're standing on the bridge, like a couple hundred feet above the waterline and realizing that these ships could sink. <laughs> you just, mm-hmm. you know, you know, you've, you, you know, you've seen cruise ships, in, you know, where you're from in, in Barbados and stuff like that. You get these 12 decks. Well, imagine a, sh- a naval ship being a little bit taller than that. And you're standing up on the bridge just looking out. And it's like, you can see for miles. But mm-hmm. yeah, that, that Pearl Harbor experience, I will never, that will always rest with me. It, it, it's just not going out of my head. I, I can't say enough about it. Now, most, pe- most people have to, just, just as a caveat, when you do the USS Missouri tour, I do believe that you have to go on a tour to the USS Missouri because when you cross the bridge onto the island where the Missouri is docked, I believe is naval property. Oh, I see. So you have to get on a tour. Whereas because uh, my girlfriend's son is a, is a Navy member, he could get onto the island with his ID card. So we didn't have to go through all that. But most people who go there have to go with a tour. So you mentioned earlier that you had to take a boat. So this is not directly connected to the mainland. You have to take a boat together to the to the to USS the, Missouri? No, to the Arizona. The oh, USS okay, Arizona. Arizona. Yeah. 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 If you if you look at pictures on the internet of the USS Arizona, you'll see this uh off-white looking uh lengthy structure that sits in the water. The mm-hmm. USS Arizona sits under that. So they basically have got the whole ship sitting under it. And I believe, and I, like I said, I didn't get a chance to go there, but I believe there is like a, a, a see-through floor so that when you stand on the Arizona and go inside, you can look down and see the ship there. Wow, 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 wow. That, that, that is the one thing. I mean, I'm going to go back to Hawaii anyway, but that is the one thing that I definitely, if the, if the USS Arizona is close the next, uh, I won't go to Hawaii until I actually get the chance to see it. Um, because my, I, you know, it's just one of the, it's, it's like the completion of something I've known about my entire life. It's like the, mm-hmm. the final stick, if you will, the final caveat of a history that I know an awful lot about, uh, from reading books and watching movies and talking to, you know, people I know who have since deceased, who were there at the time. 
And mm-hmm. so I, I, I just have to see it. It's just one of those things that, you know, you have to see. As part of your visit, you mentioned that you took a car ride north and you passed by the Dole, you passed by the Dole Plantation, but you didn't stop. What's significant about the Dole Plantation? And I wanted them pineapples, bro. Can you imagine oh. the fresh pineapples you get from the Dole Plantation in Hawaii as opposed to the, okay. the, the, the local grocery store where you buy your food? Okay. <laughs> I mean, okay. first, first of all, just so you know, pineapple is everywhere in Hawaii, as is shaved ice. And there's another ice cream thing, and I, and I had it, which was delicious. It was pineapple, and I can't remember the name of it. But pineapple's everywhere. If you go to Hawaii and you ain't dealing with no pineapple, you ain't been to Hawaii. <laughs> um, so they actually give tours because you said you yes. didn't stop. Yeah, we didn't okay. stop because we were on our that's way someplace why. else. Yeah, but we actually, I think it was either H2 or H3. And like I said, mm-hmm. that's the name of Hawaii's interstate system on Honolulu. Mm-hmm. It, it, and what we did was we drove up over the... I don't want to say a mountain because this was a hill. It was actually two lanes in each. It was three lanes in each direction until they got up to where Wheeler Air Force Base is. And then it shrunk to two lanes in each direction. And then the Dole factory was one lane in each direction. And it wasn't a factory, but you saw like miles and miles and miles of, of pineapples uh, on a wow. pineapple farm. Um, so we crossed over. The reason that we went over there was we wanted to go to the North Shore. Now, the North Shore is famous in Hawaii for all the high surfing, you know, the surface. uh, uh, That's why the people go and catch the big waves and stuff like that. And they have the surfing competitions on that side of the island. So we drove over because I just wanted to see it. My my eyes had to see it. And talk about a drastic change from one side of Oahu to the other. It was like being in it in a totally different. Um, you know, it, it was like going from city to rural in twenty minutes. Right in terms of the waves, um, it, 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 even just the terrain. I mean, when you get to the Dole Plantation area, which is kind of like at the crest of the hill, it's like you're out in the middle mm-hmm. of nowhere. Oh wow! But you can see the ocean from both areas if you pay attention. You know, as long as it's not cloud covered that day or something like that, you can see the ocean. You can see the lush green landscape and stuff like that. So imagine just going from a, a place that has three or 400,000 people in it to a place where you can almost hear yourself breathe in a matter of 20 minutes. It was really, really, really beautiful. And then when we got there, uh, we, we, we got out of the car. I did not see the super, super huge waves because we had to drive a little further out and we didn't have time. We had to get back because we had an event to go to that night. I never got the opportunity to see the super huge waves and I never got a chance to go out to Diamond Head. And what I wanted to initially do was take the road along the beach and just follow it around the island. There's a road that connects the entire island around the edges. And we didn't get a chance to do that. But um, but you got a chance to go to the beach, right? You spent a few hours there. Yeah, I think it's called Hulawai or Hulawaya. I think it's what they call it. Hulawaya or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> It's H-A-L-E-I-W-A, yeah. <laughs> Even you can't pronounce it. That's okay. And I practiced <laughs> that before the show, and I still screwed it up, <laughs> which is unusual for me. And I even have but a pronouncer you, written on a sheet of paper here. <laughs> but you spent a few hours there. I mean, it must, have been, must be a beautiful beach, even though you complained how cold the water was. Oh, God, that water was Bitterly cold, man. And it was funny because I remember uh, we stopped at some place to buy uh, um, my girlfriend's son some snorkeling gear. And he's a Navy guy, so he's used to all that cold weather shit. Um, so he, he got out there and he got his snorkel on, took his shirt off, went out there. And it took him about a minute or two to get adjusted to how cold that water was. You know, keep in mind, I grew up in Florida. We're not used to water that cold. And it, and it took me a few minutes to get used to it, too. But it was refreshing when you got in the water because, like I said, it was about 80 degrees with a very slight breeze just enough to make you get a little warm and you hit that water and that water you know it's like walking on ice after it's like walking into that cold tub after you get done playing sports uh you know to let your body heal stuff but it was it was really good um Mm -hmm. you know the the scenery was beautiful the beaches were not crowded which actually surprised me i thought there would be more people on the beach but there were some people because we got there about noon and people were just some people were just starting to come out. Then I was beginning to wonder if they were on Caribbean time where, you know, the place don't wake up till three o'clock <laughs> in the afternoon or something. But um, Is it uh, one of the top tourist destinations? 
to go to that beach? Uh, yeah, a lot of people come to Hawaii. Well, especially the surfing crowd, they come to Hawaii just to go to the North Shore because that's where the waves are. Um, mm -hmm. And there's hotels out there too. Not in the town we were at. The most of the the town that we were at, the one when you and I screwed up the name on, uh, it's a small town. They don't have a. They I think they have maybe a couple inns that have like 20 beds in each one of them. They don't have a lot there, so you'd have to go okay. a little further out the area that we did not go to get to some of the bigger, bigger resorts. Um, but no, it wasn't COVID related at all. I just think that uh, because we went midweek, maybe people were at work uh, because it was the holiday season. People were doing other things and they actually went to Oahu to do the things in Waikiki and they, and they never got out that far. And there's beaches in Waikiki that are gorgeous. So they had no need to go to the North shore. I just wanted to go to the North shore in case I'd never get back there again. But on the way back, we drove down, the road back into town at Hulawaya. I think uh, Waya, that's how I'm going to say it. Um, Don't try to pronounce that word. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, and on the way back, my 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 girlfriend is a Gifieri nut. She watches food rest food trucks around that area. Yeah, she watches diners, drive-ins, and dives religiously. She watches every show he does on TV, uh, and she's also a foodie. There isn't a place on this planet that her and her son will not stop to eat. So she pulls out her phone. I remember on Gifieri's show, Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives, he went to this food truck called Big Wave Shrimp. And I'm sitting yeah. there thinking, like, you would have to know this 3,000 miles from home. So she pulls out her thing, and she looks at it. And, of course, her son knows exactly where it is as soon as he mentioned the name. So we pull up there and sat outdoors. Man, that shrimp was, I had garlic shrimp and that shrimp was tasting good, buddy. I got to tell you, it was beautiful. <laughs> and people from all around were there. This, mm -hmm. I mean, this, this is like food truck road. There's probably 20 food trucks within about a half a mile radius on this one road because there's only one right. road in and out. And so they're all set up uh, out there. And we found the place we were looking for. And Dave, the, the clientele that they were getting was a... Uh, looked like the United Nations. There was local Hawaiians, which is this place is a Hawaiian favorite. There were tourists from every country you can think of. There were local African-American residents. There were local military people coming from the three military bases that are on, on Hawaii. There were there was a tourist. Uh, I know this is going to sound like a bad word. We ran into a couple of tourists from Russia while we were there. Uh, this place was just hopping and it was busy as all get out. But it was so cool. It, and the food, give Guy Fieri pop. It was really tasty. It was great stuff. Good recommendation, Guy, if you're listening. <laughs> it was tasty, but was it was it extremely spicy? How was the food? Well, they gave you, it, on ours, they gave you the option of how much spice you wanted to have on. I think it was on a scale of one to five or one to ten. And Ceci hates okay. spicy anything, so she got zero. Uh, me, I don't mind spicy. So I said, you can spice it up a little bit for me, and I'm fine with it. And, and but it was really, really good. And, you know, it, 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 you know what it is, Dave, it even, not only was the food tasty, but it was just the atmosphere. You're sitting outside at a picnic table under umbrellas on a gravel yard, you know, uh, drinking uh, various Hawaiian punches and stuff like that. Non-alcoholic, by the way. Um, you know, it, it's just like it was just peaceful. Like I said, the only noise yeah. you heard was the tourists talking to each other. If the tourists weren't there to be so peaceful, you would never want to leave. Because you live in a big city. I live in a big city. Noise pollution is real for us. So when you when you detect how quiet it is, it it it, it gets your attention. Wow, wow, wow. That's really nice, man. Um, so what else did you do there? Uh oh, later that night, and this is why we had to get back. One of the things we wanted to do is go to a luau. So they came to our hotel, picked us up at around six o'clock and they had to drive us to another part of Oahu where the luau was. And it was actually a pretty cool experience because, uh, they, um, uh, the, uh, chief who led the luau, he was also giving a history of Hawaii and the history of the, of the Polynesian people at the same time. Mm -hmm. Um, because he tells how the, there was one story he told about, how the Polynesian people came from places like Samoa and stuff like that. And then he made a point of telling you, you know, Samoa is 2,800 miles in that direction. And they came here by boat. 
Think about that for a minute. The expanse of the Pacific Ocean and these people who did not have modern technology to sail got from Samoa all the way to Hawaii, 28 miles across the Pacific, 2,800 miles across the Pacific, out in the middle of nowhere. To put that in perspective, from Hawaii to the U.S. Los Angeles mainland, it's about 3,000 miles. And it took us six hours to fly that far. These people did it on a boat with no navigation. I wonder how long it took them. Uh, probably months. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what the prevailing trade winds are, and I'm not a sailor, so I couldn't answer those questions even if you asked me. But, you know, so he was giving us the history, the, the history of the dance, the history. There was like five or six different groups of um, peoples who settled Hawaii over a couple thousand year periods of time. Uh, and he was basically kind of going through each one of them one at a time, saying what they brought to the island and stuff like that. And it was Fiji, Samoa, you know, uh, uh, there was some places over on the Asian continent that actually also made that same journey. And he was just like going out. There were six of them, if my memory serves me correctly, of, of places where people came that settled on Hawaii at the various stages of it. Yeah. It, it was it was a wonderful story. It was great. And, um, you know, those lays, those flowered lays that you get. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, Hawaii has kind of made a pivot to. Uh, I should have brought one in there and hanging in the other room. They're they're lays now that they give out are made of like a shell of some kind. I think it's a coconut shell or something like that. It's painted black and stuff like that. They don't necessarily do the flowered ones anymore, probably because they're expensive as all get out. (laughs) But, um, you know, they had the dancing. They had the fire spinning. um, And I didn't know this. They actually have competitions around the world of people who do the fire spinning with the stuff, um, you know, spinning the fire things and, and doing all the tricks with that, uh, they made us a, a, a basket while we were sitting there. While while the show was going on, the chief had somebody sitting off to the side of him making a basket um, out of uh, coconut uh, prawns and stuff like that. It, that was actually cool watching them do that. And, and it was sturdy as hell. I was surprised. <laughs> Did you wear a skirt and try to dance? I mean, you you got to be part of the culture now. No, it, it <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you brought the skirt up because I, mean, I told you I'd, I'd been to Fiji before, right? Mm-hmm. And I remember when I got to Fiji, I actually did a uh, they did a ceremony on the beach when we were in Fiji one night and we had to dress in local garb from back in the day. One of the things that they had me try to wear was you call it a skirt. I forgot the real name from it, <laughs> a, a Sarai or something like that, but it didn't fit me. Now, right. the, keep in mind that some of the, the, the Polynesian men are massively strong, big, muscular yeah. guys, yeah. but they weren't tall like me. Yeah. And they couldn't find one to fit. <laughs> so I was the only one at the at the uh, ceremony on the beach in Fiji sitting there with jeans on. Everybody else had theirs on. Men men had their skirts on, too. I was the only one. Listen, Michael, you've got to seize on the opportunity. If you had taken a picture in that skirt, that would be a, that would be very good for our Instagram page. If you had taken some video, it would be very good for TikTok. Well, keep what in mind, do, keep in mind, this is this is pre TikTok days, because uh, <laughs> I went to Fiji in 2006, and the internet wasn't what it is today. And like I said, that thing I couldn't. It was funny because we barely got it around my waist, which is shocking considering you know my height and my you know I'm not a big guy you know in turn in the waist, and it still didn't fit. But the thing that was funny was that how short it was. Um, I just want to see you dancing in the skirt. That's all. I, I tried dancing, but my hips went out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So, yeah. So they, they basically talked about that. They talked about the food. And, of course, we, they fed us a great meal of a lot of the local foods of the day, whether it was pork uh, that was cooked in a pit, which seems to be something that goes around the world. It's just everybody does it a little bit differently because I know in the Caribbean they have that type of stuff, especially that, I mean, places like Puerto Rico. Uh, I know they have that in in the Far East as well, where you know they cook a, a, a roasted pig in, in underground pits and stuff like that. So th- that that part yeah. they did. Uh, obviously, the fruit was there, uh, and the fruit was also oh fresh. I mean, in a place that actually grows the fruit, you don't have to worry about putting it in a can and shipping it. You just get it right there. Um, you know, I, I I can't say it. we we crammed a lot into a weekend. We're still not done. <laughs> <laughs> it seems as though you ha- you 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 really had some fantastic experiences there in the island of Oahu. Uh, then on your the following day, you took a trip back to the big to the big island. Well, not really back to the big island. You took the trip t- 
to the, to big, the big island. island right yeah. yeah we did uh one of the things that i was bound and determined to do before we left hawaii was get down to manaloa and kilauea and to the big island further and south it's, it is the furthest south of the hawaiian island chain and it's also the biggest island on one side of the island is the city of hilo and I would call that the rainy side of the island. And on the other side of Hawaii is Kona, K-O-N-A, which is the drier side of the island. And uh, just for perspective, from um, Honolulu, from Oahu to the big island is a one-hour plane ride. So it's not right around the corner. It's not close. It's not close. It's, you know, in one hour, you know, you could, you're probably talking a couple hundred miles. So they're not that close to where you could take, well, you could take a boat, but it would take you a hell of a lot longer. And so we got up at 5.30, went to the airport, hopped the plane, and I'm looking out the window and I'm seeing all the snow-covered peaks of the other islands that we flew past. We land in Hilo. It is pouring rain. I mean, it, the sky just opened up. And uh, we were worried that our tour was going to get canceled in Hawaii Volcanoes National Park. That's where I wanted to go. <laughs> Um, and so we got off the thing and we, we had this great company called Hawaii tours that arranged everything for us. Uh, there was, our guide was a guy named Jordan who was taller than me. I finally met a guy taller than me. He was six, eight. That was cool. <laughs> and so we, we, we hit it off very well. He spoke fluent Spanish also, which helped Ceci, uh, because, you know, her, her first language is Spanish, but, you know, so we get there and like I said, it was raining really bad. We were worried that our tour was going to get canceled. He said, oh, no, we're going. And so finally, I looked at him and I said, well, how much rain do you guys get? Because I noticed how green it was there, too, just like Maui, except Maui was sunshine. He said, we get about 300 inches of rain a year here on this side of the island. I said, OK, so this is something you guys are used to. But what I, the thing I didn't expect, Dave, it was cold. Oahu was 80. Hilo was like 50 and rainy with a breeze. And... We, tr we soldiered on. There was 12 people on our tour van. And so we went around. We went to Rainbow Falls and we started driving up these hills. And again, I have to say this. I'm not a big height person. I don't like drastic drop-offs in front of me and stuff like that. But in Hawaii, nothing is like that. It just, it's just this, this gradual thing where everything around you kind of comes up at the same time. So like in California, you have these big undulations where, you know, you could be at you know, 5,000 feet above sea level, and you're looking down at a hole that drops 1,000 feet. Hawaii's not like that. Everything is just this gradual upslope, if you will. Um, so you don't realize it. And then so after we did a couple little tours, they finally took us to the Volcano National Park, which is where I bought this shirt. I didn't buy it for a tourist thing. I bought it because I needed something to keep me warm. I wasn't anticipating the temperature <laughs> being that much colder. And so we're driving around Volcano National Park, and we're going up and up. And up, but nobody noticed we were going up in altitude. We were driving up the slopes of Mauna Loa. Uh, it was just an active volcano to this day. Um, and so we get out there and we stopped at a whole bunch of places along the way. The last time that exploded, I don't know when it was, but the huge crater, the, the size of the hole of the top of that volcano blowing off you would have to, I can't even paint a picture of the immensity of the crater that was blown off the top of Mauna Loa. It was that big. Uh, say this, it's, it's the it's, second largest volcano in the world, right? Yes, it, it, and, but that, that's if you include the part of Mauna Loa, which is on the water. Now, okay. the part of Mauna Loa that's above land goes up to about 5,000 feet. The part of Mauna Loa, the total length, the uh, height of Mauna Loa is 16,000 feet. So that tells you there's eight, there's, there's, you know, 11,000 feet of Mauna Loa still underground. Amazing. Uh, and the thing, let me digress for just a minute. The geography of the big island is made up of five volcanoes. I think Jordan told us who was our guide. I think he said two of them are dormant. Um, Mauna Loa is active. Kilauea is definitely active. That's the one you've been reading about in the news. As a matter of fact, Kilauea actually had an eruption, you know, a couple of weeks before we got them. They would not let us anywhere close to Kilauea. It was actually closed. Um, but you're talking about, they showed us a blown up dome off of Mauna Loa 
the rocks actually landed about six miles away. They took us to where the actual part of the <laughs> crater landed like six miles away. Man, I ain't never, I mean, the immense power of that alone is like something that I could not, I mean, I don't know what an atomic bomb feels like, but damn it, <laughs> this had to be close. I mean, can you imagine that? Just to blow off like literally, you know, I'm, I'm guessing 20 miles across and 20 miles wide. So you're looking at a circumference of what, with, with that uh, 300, 400 feet uh, uh, of, of uh, or miles rather of, of dome top being blown off someplace and That's it lands wherever. And, and the, the lava power of that of that volcano, man. Yeah, and then the lava flows, you know, away from it and stuff like that. You can see where the lava flowed away from it, and it destroyed everything in its path. And then six inches away from where everything was destroyed, there's vegetation for the part that the lava did not hit. Mm. And there is steam vents, if you will, all over Mauna Loa, and. The, those vents are coming up from the volcano. And I told you it was cold. There was about 50 degrees. But if you stand near one of those steam vents, it's like being in a sauna. Right. And, so, and you can see the steam coming out of the ground. And it, you know, it didn't take a rocket science to figure out that that's coming from the volcanoes below our feet. And then we went into this. There's this one place called a lava tube. It was underground. It was like this big, humongous tube. You could stand up in it where the lava had flowed and, and created this opening that looks like a big old tube. Um, and it was, it was about a quarter of a mile. We went down in there and the temperature difference alone, when we went underground and walked through the tube and came up the other side, it was like, you know, one of these, you know, you were freezing, but it was cool just seeing that lava form like that. Was it cooler below or above? Below. Was cold? below. In, in, okay. in the lava tube, it was cooler below ground. But if you stand near the open steam, there was one place, one of the steam vents, I was so cold because I didn't bring the right clothing. That I actually stood near the vent to warm up. Wow. Um, there was another place. It was called the Lava Field or something like that. And I swear to God, I wish I had taken a picture of it. It's like walking. It looked like a moon landing uh, with the bubbles of dried up um, lava just sitting there. And it was like for miles in each direction, just black covered ground that was just bubbly and nothing else because it had burned everything else around it. Um, it, it was... That and Pearl Harbor were probably the highlights of my trip because not only am I a history guy, I like physical geography and uh, just seeing the immense power of that and, and stuff like that. And then there was a small area where they took us where we had to hike in about a mile where there was actually lava flowing out of Mauna Loa. And you could actually look down and see the lava. Uh, wasn't a lot um, because, like I said, Mauna Loa is not the active one right now. It's Kilauea. Kilauea was no joke. And like I said, they wouldn't let us anywhere near Kilauea. Did you get a chance to drive while you were there? Because uh, you'd mentioned that you, you know, you had a, a, a guided tour. But did you did you actually get a chance to drive while you were there? And what was it like? I mean, do they drive on the same side of the road that they drive on, on, on the mainland? Yeah, everything in Hawaii in terms of driving is just same just laws like that United exist States. in the United States. That's uh, in the United States. It's part of the United yeah, States. Yeah, I was going to say the, the it's the mainland. But, you know, we, we think of Hawaii as being not part of the United States. It, it very much is. Those people are very, very American, but they have their own culture within the culture, which I think is great. Uh, as regards to your question about driving, no, I did not drive the entire time I was there. But Ceci's son rented a Tesla. And so he picked us up at the airport in a Tesla. He was trying to show off. So he picked us up at the <laughs> airport in a Tesla. And he drove. Um, one of the things that I am starting to do, as, and this goes for all my travels going in the future, I have always been stuck being the driver every place I go, which means I don't get a chance to really enjoy the trip because I'm like following this map direction here and following that map direction there. And, you know, sometimes you just want to look out the window and see the scenery. So I, yeah. I have made it a mission in my life that each trip I take from now on, somebody else is doing the driving. Unless there's a scenic highway that I have to drive. And I've driven the scenic highway in California twice. I don't need to see it again. So I've made it just a point now. Like when, you know, uh, Ceci and I are going to Puerto Rico later on this year for her class reunion. My behind ain't driving no place. And that, that, the, the resort we're staying at is about 100 miles from the San Juan. I'm not driving. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. When I go to California now, the only reason I drive there is I got business there. 
And I know Southern California like the back of my hand, but no, brother ain't driving no more. I'm sorry. I just, you know, I want to enjoy the place and you can't enjoy it if you're driving. What's the big difference between the two islands, the big island, uh, Hawaii and uh, Oahu? Is there a difference in culture? Is there a difference? Are there any subtle differences in terms of the food they eat and et cetera? In terms of the food they eat, no. The subtle difference is, first of all, the big island, I don't know the population of the big island. I'm guessing it's less than 100,000. Um, it's, it's not uh, heavily populated at all. As a matter of fact, when we were making our trip to go to Hawaii, we originally were going to stay on the big island because um, uh, Ceci's son wanted to get away from um, Oahu because he's there all the time and he just wanted a, a different a change of pace. But when I explained to him how slow the life is on the big island, that's when he changed his mind <laughs> because it is, it's a slower pace. A lot of farming goes on there. The houses are spread out on these huge lots. Lots of rain, which would have irritated him to no end, because he, like I said, he was born and raised in Vegas. He, him and rain are not friends, um, um, you know. So, so there is that. It's quieter, slower paced lifestyle. Um, the people are just as friendly. No difference there. The food is just as tasty. No difference there. Uh, it's kind of like being in a rural part of America on the Big Island. Um, now, we did not, like I said, we were in Hilo. Kona is on the dry side of the island, which is where they have the coffee farm. They, Hawaii has their own coffee, by the way, too. And we brought back several bags of it, and it's actually really good. Um, but that side of the island is, is also quieter. It does have an airport. Hawaiian Airlines flies there as well. Um, it's just that our tour with the volcanoes made more sense for us to get to the volcanoes from Hilo than Kona. Otherwise, we probably would have gone to Kona. So, the, so to answer your question, um, that's the big difference. It's just a slower pace, more rural. The Hilo is not a big city, maybe 25, 30,000 people. Um, you know, like I said, beautiful landscape, wonderful beaches. Uh, uh, I can't say enough nice things about it. I just wish it hadn't rained when we were there, but that's life. If you go to a place like that in Hawaii, you're going to get rain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, even on Oahu, every afternoon for about an hour, we always got rained on. But the rain was refreshing. I, I walked outside one day because it was raining and stood there and let myself get soaked. <laughs> <laughs> okay for someone who don't want to listen to a one hour podcast how would you summarize the trip for someone who and we go back and forth in terms of what's on our bucket list or our dream list how would you summarize your trip to hawaii for someone who's you know who's dreaming about going to hawaii well first of all hawaii was on my bucket list which makes no sense considering that I lived, you know, literally on the West coast of the U S all those years, but I don't understand how I never got there. Um, but if I had to summarize it, each Island brings with it a different experience. Now I never got to Kauai. Uh, I never got to a couple of the other islands. I know one, I, I don't know if it's Nahui or, or whatever. I think it's a private Island or Lanai. I think Nahui is the private Island, which actually one person owns a whole damn Island. Um, but I never got a chance to go to those places, but the, the cultural differences between the three that I did see with my own two eyes is really amazing. You know, if you're, if you want just luxurious surroundings and you want quiet, go to Maui. There's plenty to do on Maui between, you know, the water, the, the hiking, lounging at the pool, you know, and all that kind of stuff. If you're kind of the adventurous person of the three that I went to, the Big Island would definitely be it, only because you can do some hiking and go to the volcanoes, go to the waterfalls and things like that. Oahu, to me, is, like I said, I'm a history nut, so I, I will always go there first. But the scenic beauty of Waikiki in that area and the scenic beauty of the island itself, it is, it is wonderful to see it. And then, of course, you know, lastly, the people. Uh, I have never met a friendlier group of people in the United States in all my life as I met in Hawaii. The, the people are just super friendly. Even, I don't care if it was at a coffee shop, at our hotel, wherever it was, those people went out of their way to make sure you were welcome. I don't know if they do, I was a tourist or not. There was plenty of people of color who live in Hawaii um, and uh, they didn't seem to care. They just like, welcome, welcome, have fun, do whatever, you know, laid back, definitely. Um, you know, it's kind of like it's not the Caribbean on steroids because you guys in the Caribbean kind of sleep all day. But uh, <laughs> Hawaii is no, active. 
No, man, we are hardworking people now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Until you get that rum in your behind, then y'all don't do nothing. <laughs> I'm not going to let you off the hook. You know, you're normally the co-host of the same podcast that we're doing right now. Today, your your role is being a guest, share your experiences. So I'm going to ask you to just take us out. Do your thing, what you normally do. All right. Yeah, I get to close this show out. Okay. Well, well, well. You have been watching, listening to the uh, TripCast 360 podcast. And yes, this is Michael Gordon Bennett. I did take on a little bit of a different role today, um, thanks to that trip to Hawaii. And we will be doing things similar to this in the future. Uh, Dave himself is actually going to his home country, Barbados. Um, We're going to reverse roles then. And and Dave actually... uh, uh, gets to be the subject, and I'll get to interview him because um, one of the things we have not done a lot on this show, matter of fact, I don't think we've ever done a lot on this show, Davis. Talk about where you're from. Um, you know, we, everybody who listens knows you're from Barbados, but we've never talked about Barbados as a, as a destination. And I've been there, so uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Um, we've also got several other trips coming up later on this year. We uh, got a couple sponsors on our show now, which we'll, we'll highlight not this episode, but the following episode. But uh, uh, this will be a lot of fun. So uh, on behalf of uh, my co-host and uh, my interviewer today, <laughs> Dave Cumberbatch, <laughs> this is uh, Michael Gordon Bennett saying so long. And we'll catch you on another edition of TripCast 360.